lot of work we need to do in in Revelation six that so many of these uh, images are uh, found in Old Testament prophecy, and the reason why it's so important is. Uh, as we read these seals, it's going to sound like the end of the world. And so we're going to have to talk about, well, is it really the end of the world or is it talking about something else? Uh, but before we get to that picture, we are at the fifth seal, which is uh, in Revelation 6 and verse 9. <clears throat> Revelation 6, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. All right, so a uh, neat picture that's given. We, we saw last week that we have these first four seals. Uh, we noted that they were uh, images of judgment. God is now acting. These four horsemen that we've seen before in the book of Zechariah were previously pictured at peace. They were not doing anything, and now God is going to do something. God is moving. God is, is going to act, but... Uh, before we see some of those uh, big activities, you get a moment where the scene turns and we're able to look at uh, this fifth seal where we have these uh, under the altar, the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had had borne. What is their what is their desire? What are they asking for? What do they want God to do? Okay, justice and judgment, right? Uh, an, an avenging needs to happen. Do something uh, because of, of what has happened for us. They're asking a question. What is the question? How long? Is, notice that there, there appears to be a, a belief that God is going to do something, but how long is it going to be uh, until you finally avenge and judge and do something about the blood uh, of the people of God who have died for the word and have died for the testimony. What's what's the answer that's given for how long? Not till everybody okay, so there's there's kind of two two markers here. First one at the beginning of verse eleven. They're they're each given a white robe. We'll talk about that in a minute. And what are they told? Okay, so in in three thousand years. All right, a little longer. Okay, so one of the things that we keep seeing as you go through the book is there are time markers indicating imminence. Things are going to happen soon. The things are not being pushed off all the way to the end. You might remember last week, as I do have my handy dandy book still right here, uh, that he, it says we're already talking about the, the tribulation, the pre tribulation, and raptures and all that kind of stuff. That's not a little while longer. Just just wait a little longer and God's going to do something about that thousands and thousands and thousands of years later. It doesn't work to what this text keeps saying. He doesn't say just wait, but time marker one is that it's going to be a little longer. Julie? I mean, going back to the judging and the judging, one thing that I love about that is it's showing that even though there's a negative connotation with that in the world, it's just part of the plan. It's part of the you know, 
judge. Yeah. And um, again, it's just something that's going to happen, and it's it's interesting, and I'm sure you know um, that it comes after the, the imagery of the four horses in the judgment yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So so yeah, there's this. God, you're going to do something. How much longer until it happens? It's it's coming, Charlotte. Well, uh, there's a lot of images in Matthew 24, too. And that says that these things will all be completed for this generation. Sure. Yeah. There's lots of things in Revelation that give us the time markers. That very first class, we spent so much of the time talking about... Please notice these time markers that are given in the book. The time is near, things that must shortly take place. We can't have an interpretation that goes against that. And so uh, it is fascinating to me that so many authors want to hit chapter 6 and immediately jump out to things that haven't happened yet and makes the, make nearly the whole book about that. But here's another clear time marker of the, the comfort is rest a little longer. It's not going to be a whole lot longer than that. What is the other time marker that's given here? Till the rest of uh, uh, of them. So notice the verse eleven. Until the fellow number of uh, until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. That might be the worst answer ever. How long till you do something? Well, until the rest of the Christians are killed. That's not a great answer. Not what we're looking for, right? But that's setting up. We already have prior persecution happening, right? We have Christians who are dying for the cause of Christ and the expectation of more to be killed for the cause of Christ. I'll keep putting this before you as we go through this. Let's do it again. Who in the past, at the point that this is being written in the first century, is the persecutors who were killing the people of God in that first century. The Jews, they were noted in in Revelation 2 and 3. They are troublemakers. You see that with the Apostle Paul. They're problems. Who's going to be the problem? Romans are going to be the problem. They're going to start initiating a persecution as well. So you're sitting here on a hinge in the middle of of this, this picture here, in the middle of these seals, saying, I'm going to deal with those who've killed you. And there's more that are going to die, and I'm going to have to deal with them also. So rest a little while longer, and I'm going to take care of all that. But that's eventually going to come. So wait and rest. Uh, ultimately, that time is, is to come. Okay. Uh, questions about verses 9 through 11? Anything about that that uh, is unclear or anything that needs to be said about that, Muriel? Yeah, but I would also just keep in mind that everything is kind of just a symbolic representation of things. And so as things are happening, and especially we talked about in the first uh, four seals, um, you you see it like particularly maybe in verse 8, you have authority given over a fourth of the earth. So what did we say was going on by seeing these fractions happening? That a fourth is being judged. What, what's going on with that? Remember? Yeah. Right. It's not a full judgment yet. These are kind of like the opening warnings to attempt to get the people to repent. We'll see that stated a number of occasions in the book of Revelation. So 
Here are these like initial warnings. And you can imagine that since full judgment hasn't happened yet, partial judgments are happening. The, the, the persecuted, killed people of God are kind of raising their hand going, well, aren't you going to do something about this? <laughs> when are you going to accomplish this? And this is the means by God's answer uh, to say, I will do something about it, but it's not going to be right at the moment. Give it a little while longer. So there's certainly obviously knowledge afterlife, things like that in terms of the people of God living. But uh, I wouldn't make this a base point and say uh, the dead in Christ are seeing the things that are going on on the earth. And here's the reason why I, I wouldn't use this text since it's symbolic of events that are happening and they're being used as when are you going to avenge avenge our blood? Okay, Jim. Well, and, and to, it wasn't like this, like we have the elders bowing down, all that activity going on. This doesn't seem like that was going on during this. Once the seal was open, yeah. then this event was revealed. Right. So, it, you know, kind of that kind of, not like every day they're going win, win, win. Right. You're saying it's a symbol in this unveiling right. of the seal. Absolutely. That, especially of things that are future to come about what else is going to take right. place. All right, Janet. Okay, so yeah, two things to think about with the white robes. So white, we can zero in on pretty quick, right? So they're depicted as faithful, right? They're wearing white robes, so they're depicted as they've been faithful. Well, what does the text said is why they're faithful? They gave their life. For what reason? For the testimony of the word of God. They're saying the things of God and died for it. They're, they're, They're saying the word of God. They're proclaiming what God wants. And they died for it. That's being pictured as faithful. They have been faithful unto death, which is what the chapters 2 and 3 to the seven churches kept saying, right? Be faithful unto death, and I will give you. And then there were all these different things we saw that everybody was giving. We talked about be faithful unto death did not mean, you know, stay with God for 90 years. And when you, you know, peacefully die in your sleep one day, you'll have a crown of life. It's talking about you're going to get killed. Be faithful even though you're going to get killed because here's what you're going to receive. And so you're seeing that depicted here. Why robes? What should robes tell us? Why are we getting, why are we getting robes? Well, there's a lot of non-committal answers on that. You've got to boldly speak to me so I can hear what you're saying. <laughs> Casey, what do you think? Okay. So there's certainly that, right? So we're, we're, we're clothing them and... That clothing needs to represent something to them, Julie. It's an honor. It's like a priesthood. Yeah. So, yeah you, you think of kind of a victory robe kind, kind of thing. As they have been faithful, they are being clothed, and their clothing is representing their faithfulness, uh, their, their overcoming. Uh, just as you saw in chapters 2 and 3, they are being given those things to indicate they have done the right thing, even though they have been judged by the world as useless, unfaithful, no goods who need to die. They are being judged by God as faithful and worthy to wear these robes and are now have an audience really before God to say, well, how much longer is this going to keep going on? You might remember that is kind of what Daniel's question was in chapter 12. He's Blown away by the visions of the shattering of the power of the holy people. When are these things going to take place? And the answer is, I'm not going to tell you. It's just going to be, you're going to wait, you're going to wait, you're going to wait. 
well, now we're in the midst of it, and now how much longer is all this going to go on? And just, just wait, and you're going to get the answer you're looking for. But the more are going to have to die uh, until this judgment is enacted by, by God. And that's what leads into the sixth seal is then you're going to start seeing that movement happen now. What was given as partials in the first four seals, the sixth seal is going to now be a, a, a full action. But are we ready for that? Or are there other questions, things that we need to talk about uh, in regards to the, the faithful under the altar in the fifth seal? Okay. Verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for who can for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand. All right. This, it, without any prior background, makes you go, well, that sounds like the, the end, right? I mean, we've got the sun black, moon to blood, stars are falling to the earth, uh, sky vanished, was rolled up like a scroll, every mountain and island was removed from its place. Matthew 24. Well, Okay. I'm not sure if that's in Matthew 24, but uh, yeah, I mean, fig tree certainly is there. That's right. That's right. We got a fig tree there. So as we've talked about with, with these pictures, first thing we need to do is go backward and go, okay, how were these images used to get a sense of what this could be talking about? So if you got your uh, Bibles, whether digital or not, get, we're going to do some turnings. We've got to follow these things. Let's, let's go to Isaiah 13 to start. We're going to run a few, few passages here so that we can get a sense of how God uses this terminology. Isaiah chapter 13 to start. All right, let's start at verse 9. Let's do things backward for the fun of it. Isaiah 13, verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath, fierce anger to make the land a desolation to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the iniquity for and the wicked for all their iniquity. And I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. And I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts and the day of his fierce anger. That sounds somewhat similar. A lot of the same pictures, right? We've got sun, moon, stars, um, no, we don't have, yeah, we do have stars. We've got people, hardly anybody left, it sounds like. I'll make people more rare than fine gold. Verse 13, 
The earth is shaken out of its place. The heavens are trembling. All right. Now go back to verse 1 and tell me who was being prophesied against. Babylon. So one of the interesting things that God does is he talks like it's going to be the end of all things when he's actually talking to a particular nation or people. He starts off the oracle by saying, this is a proclamation against Babylon. And then what does he say to Babylon? The earth is going to tremble and the sun's not going to shine and the stars are going to fall and the moon's going to turn to blood and there's not going to be anything left and all humanity is going to be as rare as this gold. So what's he telling Babylon when he uses images like that? You're done, right? That's your toast. (laughs) You're not going to see the sun. You're not going to see the moon. You're not going to see the stars. It is a total wipeout for you. There's not going to be anything left of you. It's the end of the nation. It's the end of the people. And so he uses images as if it's the whole world being blown to bits to say to Babylon, that's what your world is like. It's over for you. There's there's not going to be anything left. Let's see it again. Go to Ezekiel chapter 32. Ezekiel 32. All right. Ezekiel 32. Let's do it backward again for the fun of it. You know what I'm doing now, so you can cheat if you want to. Verse 5. Verse 5 of Ezekiel 32. I will strew your flesh upon the mountains and fill the valleys with your carcasses. I will drench the land even to the mountains with your flowing blood and the ravines will be full of you. When I blot you out, I will cover the heavens and make their stars dark. I will cover the sun with the cloud and the moon will not give its light and all the bright lights of heaven. I will make dark over you and put darkness on your land, declares the Lord God. Go back to verse one. Here's the prophecy against Egypt. What are you telling Egypt? You're done. <laughs> It's over for you. Your power is cut off. You're not going to be a dominating power anymore. I am turning the the, the moon to blood and the starlights are shutting off and your bodies are going to be strewn all over the place and the mountains are going to flow with your blood. And it, I mean, it just sounds like catastrophic grand tribulation of the end, right? And yet all of that imagery is God trying to invoke a picture to the audience and saying, Your time is done. It wasn't a statement of the end of the whole world, but God uses end of world imagery to try to tell a nation that's the end of you. Now, let's do another one because this one we should be more familiar with. Go over to Joel 2. Joel chapter 2. I'll start in a spot where that you... Maybe don't know quite as well, but then I'll take us to the point where Peter quotes from that we do know pretty well. Joel 2 verse 10. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened and the the stars withdraw their shining. Notice we're still using that same kind of terminology. Jump forward to uh, verse 30. This is uh, where Peter quotes from. 
And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Look around chapter 2. Who is the object of God's wrath when he was saying all that? Yeah, Jerusalem, right? That's why Peter is standing in Jerusalem in Acts 2 and saying, Guys, repent. Because it's coming. Here's the doom that has been predicted. But notice the prediction sounds end of the world. Sun turned to darkness. Moon turned to blood. Columns of smoke. Earth is quaking. So I'm wanting you to get a sense that when you read this kind of language, the default should not be it's pre-tribulation rapture, end of the world, 2,000 years, the world's falling to bits, and it's all, that's not how what God does. God loves using this kind of picture to tell a group of people or a nation or a king, it's the end of you. (laughs) And he used it of Egypt, he used it of Jerusalem, he used it of Babylon, and none of those occasions were the end of the world. But he liked to use the language that sounded like that to indicate you're done. So I've always used the shorthand of this. When you read sun darkened or the moon turned to blood or stars are falling from the sky, here's my shorthand. Lights out for you. (laughs) You're done. It's over. Your your, your clock has been punched. (laughs) You're now done before God. That's how you should just kind of take that visual is if the sun's not shining, the moon's not there, and the stars are falling... Your smoke, it's done. It's over for you for a nation. God is bringing his ultimate judgment against against that nation. So it's not talking about meteors that are going to fall and destroy what we know of the earth and and wipe out the, the... No, 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 no. That's not what God's talking about when he uses that terminology. He's saying there's a group of people that are done at this point. Stan? Yes, right. Yeah, same same spot there in Isaiah where that everybody thinks where it talks about Lucifer because we have a translation, the King James that drags us that way. Uh, that oh well, he fell from heaven. Now, actually, he used a star falling to depict the king of Babylon falling from his position and power. It was lights out for him. He's done. You're not going to have power anymore. Same idea, same kind of picture, Charlotte. They all say that. I'm going to show you more here in in a minute. But they all use that language to say it's the end of the world. And when you read this here in in Revelation, I want you to see that that's exactly what it sounds like. In Revelation, it says great earthquake, sun is black, moon is blood, stars are falling to the earth. Sky is vanished and rolled up like a scroll. Mountains and islands are removed. But then think about this. You have in verse 15, kings of the earth and the great ones are all running to the caves and the rocks and the mountains. Now, that should cause pause for a minute. If it's the end of the world, what good is the cave going to do for you? We should kind of think that one through for a second. 
running to mountains and caves and hills is not a response for the end of the world. By the way, do you remember what we are told about how the end of the world is going to go? Like a thief in the night, there's got going to be a warm-up where you're going to run to the hills and it's just over. So anything like this can't be referring to the end because that's not thief in the night. A thief does not go to your house and write notes and say, when you see these things happen, you might know I'm coming. You're going to kind of go, well, I need to not leave and I'm going to stay up and watch my car in the driveway. You know what I mean? That's, thieves don't give warning signs. Keep that in mind. So when you read anything that's giving you warning signs, you're not talking about the end. Now, I know that that was a third wire right there because, man, there are a lot of places that people go to that think are talking about the end that I do not believe are talking about the end because of that. We'll get to do all that. We'll, we'll get there eventually and do all that. I'll get to talk a little bit about that in just a minute. But up to this point from verse 12 through 14, is there anything there that did not make sense that I, you want me to clarify about looking at Sun, moon, stars, earth shaking, any of that kind of stuff. Just want you to see that doesn't tell you anything except somebody's done. Didn't say who yet, but he just said somebody's done. Shouldn't they choose even more so when Christ died and these things happened and gone? Whoa. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Especially the scholars that read these scriptures that should have been. Okay. Absolutely. So when when Jesus dies, tell me some of the things that happened in that moment. The sun's dark. Uh oh. What do we just read? Sun dark means you're done. What else happened? There was the, the, the shook. We have an earthquake. Yeah. The people should have went. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. We're doomed because it's God using the same thing. But funny enough, not as a symbol. He actually did it. He didn't just say, oh, son, he actually did it. Dark for hours. And the earth shakes to such a degree that the, the curtain of the temple tears in two and rocks are bursting forth and was it, I think it says, what, three or seven days later, the resurrected start walking around. I'm like, that should have been interesting. Brother so-and-so that died many years ago was walking around Jerusalem. That This is probably an interesting sign for us to think about. Something just happened with the death of Christ that is powerful. It's a symbol of judgment. A symbol of significant judgment is happening when you read, when you read this language. Okay, we're good through verse 14 before we look at 15 and 16. All right, verses 15, 16, and 17 are also pictures that are found in Old Testament prophecy. Uh, The thing I want to zero in on with this is sometimes this is used to say, but it has to be a global judgment because it says all the kings of the earth are running to the hills, right? The great ones, the kings of the earth, the general, the rich, the powerful, and everyone... Slave and free 
are all running to the hills. So let me show you how, no, God talks like that too when he's not necessarily speaking about the end. Go to Isaiah 34. Let's start in Isaiah again. Isaiah 34. Verses 1 through 5. All right, chapter 34, verse 1. Draw near, O nations. O hear and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear and and all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their hosts. He has devoted them to destruction. He's given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out and the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. All the host of heaven shall rot away and the skies roll up like a scroll and all their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from a vine, like leaves falling from a fig tree. Just stop there for a minute. That sounds like what we just read. We got, we got rolling up sky like scrolls. Leaves, fig tree, right? Blood, it's, it's bad, right? Look at verse 5. For my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. Behold, it descends for judgment on Edom. Edom. God uses global destruction language and points it to one particular nation. If you stopped at verse 4, you would say, "That's a, all the nations are going to get judged, right? And he goes, actually, I'm judging Edom. And let me tack on a little writer here. That's supposed to tell all the nations to wake up. The sword's supposed to fall on all the nations, and I'm going to use it first on Edom. And they're going to fall, and everybody else should go, oh, we should wake up and, and see what God is doing here, Dennis. And he goes on to make it more clear. And on the people I have set apart for destruction. So he's signaling them out. Yep. And notice, if you jump down to verse 8, why is God doing it? It's a day of vengeance. For who? The people of God, Zion. It's the same picture. It's the same idea. Here's God vindicating his people by judging the enemies. But he uses cataclysmic kind of language to try to invoke what's going to happen. Go back to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. You'll see the same idea again. Isaiah 2 and verse 19 and the people shall enter the caves 219 of Isaiah the people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth in that day mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold in which they made for themselves to worship to the moles and to the bats to enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. Sounds like the end again, right? Everybody's running to the hills and terrified and all the same same kind of, of, of picture and, and, and language. But as you read through chapter 2, this is again a judgment on... Zion, 
This is another limited judgment picture on a nation. And so I think it is interesting just to keep watching these kinds of pictures that happen and, and you get a statement like verses 19, 20, and 21 where you have everybody running, everybody terrified, the whole earth is, is, is frightened, and yet Isaiah's primary focus of his prophecies is against Jerusalem and how Babylon was going to destroy it. And yet that was supposed to be fearful to the world. And let me ask it as a question. Why should the nations be afraid when they watched Babylon wipe out Jerusalem and carry away God's people? Why Why would that be something that ought to have been terrifying to the whole earth? Yeah, if God does it to his own people, what's he going to do to the nations who are not his people? You should be scared. If God does this to his own and executes that kind of equity and righteousness, then what is he going to do to the outsider? Absolutely. That's why when you see these judgments against nations, it's supposed to be everybody else going, oh, no. Oh, no. And now go over to Luke chapter 23, because I want you to notice Jesus does the same thing, and it sounds global there too. Luke 23. All right. You'll notice in verse 26, you have Jesus being led away to be crucified in this scene. Verse 28, and turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Verse 29 of Luke 23. Luke 23, 29. Behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. And then they will say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen When it's dry. Notice here's Jesus on his way to his crucifixion. And he uses the same terminology. That everybody's going to run to the hills and cry for it to fall on us. Why? Why is he telling them, don't weep for me? You better weep for yourselves. Julie? Don't weep for me. The judgment that is coming upon you is significant. You're going to experience a a national judgment. It's going to be the end of the Jewish nation. That judgment that's coming in 70 AD. That's why he can say there in, in verse 29, it would be blessed to not have children. Why would it be better to not have children when that happens? You're gonna if you're it, that's your best case scenario, is that you're gonna watch them die. It's a three year siege that Rome in, in, inflicts upon Jerusalem, where they surround the city and cut off the supply lines. And it wasn't just simply watching your children die; they became your meals. That's what happened. Josephus records that happening within the city of Jerusalem. So Jesus is saying, "You think this is bad? What they're doing to me?" Just wait till the reverberation of judgment comes back upon the city for what they've what they what they've done, Muriel. That Deuteronomy, you know, they forecast that 
He exactly said it. That's exactly right. Amazingly, God through Moses said that very thing would happen to these people if they disobeyed the covenant. So I want you just to see that there is nothing here that says global end of the world. It is the end of somebody. (laughs) It's the, the extreme end of somebody. But you haven't been told specifically yet who. Now, I've tried to walk through some clues on the earlier parts of, of, ch- of chapter 6. Just as a reminder of the clue that I gave you was back in verse, verse 8. To kill with sword, famine, pestilence, and wild animals was a promise that God gave of judgment to who? Sword, famine, pestilence and wild animals. God made a covenant promise and said, if you all disobey me, I will destroy you in this way. Jerusalem. So I have not confirmed that to you yet, but I'm just giving you an interesting clue right here. That's not going to be used later in the book. It's only used right here. And when you read sword, pestilence, famine, and wild beasts, That was what God said he promised he would use as their judgment. So last week, remember, we read from Leviticus where we saw that. I think it was Exodus also as well as Ezekiel that had those pictures to say that's God's judgment against them. And we've noted up to this point who has been killing the people of God so far who are under the altar. Who's the who's the persecutors? You. Okay, so our pieces of the puzzle are making sense right now, aren't they? So this is your chance. You have like five minutes. Questions of of anything there in chapter six of the pieces, the puzzle pieces I've thrown at you. uh, And then how I'm pushing these puzzle pieces together to start trying to crystallize a picture. That I I will tell you this, and one of the things that I find, as you think, please think about your questions, but um, one of the things that I think is interesting is that in the way that God describes his judgments in the book of Revelation, It appears to me that what he does is he paints a very vivid picture. And then when he gets to the end of the picture, he goes, and here's who I was talking about. It is interesting to me that he did not start in chapter 6 and verse 1 and say an oracle against. He doesn't do that. He goes, let me paint you a picture. Paints it, paints it, paints it, paints it, paints it. It's all done. Have you ever seen those artists who, if you're watching it, you're looking at it going, and then they turn it upside down and you go, and at the end, in chapter 11, God will go, and say, here's who I was talking about. And you're going to go, oh my. But I'm trying to kind of breadcrumb you along the way about, we're seeing some things. If you know prophecy, you're seeing some things. It's kind of like watching the painting that's being done upside down. You might be catching a few things, but until it gets turned over, you really see it. You have no questions, or is that just drinking from a fire hose? I, I understand. <laughs> that's a lot. I, I can take a minute and move into chapter 7, uh, just a, a hair, but I, don't, I just don't want to leave you behind. The, the reason I wanted to do it as a Bible class is because I just didn't want to, you know, Here's what I think Revelation is. You know, I wanted to give you a chance to to say that didn't make sense. Let's go slower. What what picture? You know, anything like that. 
or if so far six seals feel them good pass out a test i can ace it i'm all good got this revelation scholar forming right before our very eyes you're feeling good Dennis, would you say that this is talking about since the Jews are the ones that have been the problem in previous chapters, is this talking about Jerusalem instead of Rome? I think this is pointing to Jerusalem and not Rome right now. Now, I, I do not believe the whole book is that way because I told you in Daniel we had two problems that needed to be dealt with, right? We saw in Daniel. Oh, that's good. We'll just go refresh that, right? <laughs> Uh, uh, Daniel 2, when is, which kingdom is the stone shattering? Roman. The Roman Empire has to get shattered in Daniel 2. Daniel 7 describes the fourth terrifying beast shattering the power of the holy people. Who's the fourth terrifying beast? The Roman Empire. Okay, so you've got the Roman Empire that's a problem in Daniel's prophecies. Daniel 9, you have city and sanctuary will be destroyed... And on the wing of that abomination comes one who's making desolate, but the desolator is also going to be made desolate. So the one who desolated Jerusalem will also be made desolate. So Roman Empire destroys Jerusalem, but also needs to be destroyed. Chapter 12 does the same thing. And remember, Daniel's in chapter 12 going, whoo, <laughs> Tell me what, tell me more. And God says, time of the end, I'll tell you more. I will give you the revelation later. So I've put before you, there are two things that should be talked about here. Two things that were held out that need to be done. And so if wherever you are probably coming from, I am probably stunning you because if you are somebody who saw the whole book as Jerusalem and the fall of Jerusalem and the Jewish nation, then I'm going to stun you and I'm going to show you that I think the Roman Empire is in here also. And if you grew up with it's only the Roman Empire, then I'm going to stun you that I see Jerusalem in here too. Uh, I don't believe, uh, here, here's, here's my card on the table. I don't believe that chapters 6 through 11 describe the judgment of whichever entity you are standing on. And then in chapters 12 through 18 tells the same story all over again. Every interpretation says that. It falls in chapter 11. And now we're going to show you the perspective, show it from a different perspective. Let me show it to you again. And I'm going to put before you, actually, I think there are two judgments there. We're going to see one and then we're going to see the other. Card on the table. But that'll take some time. I didn't expect you to believe me yet. We'll work there. <laughs> Hopefully by chapter 19 you'll believe me. But you won't believe me any sooner than that, trust me. <laughs> We've got to work our way through that. Okay? Charlotte, did you just I was just going to say, I'm not Yeah, I'll eventually get there, but not yet. I know. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. I realize that. Soon. Soon. I believe that. Yep, I do believe that. In, in Matthew 24 as well as in Luke 20, Jesus is leaving the city of Jerusalem. You might remember the disciples say, look at the beautiful temple and its buildings and all of that. And Jesus just simply says, not one stone will be left upon another. And then they ask, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of their coming? 
even Jesus was saying something big has to happen. Something big has to happen. Jesus said within your generation it would have to happen. So reading to me, uh, when you read Matthew 24, if you leave the first century in your interpretation, the problem is he said all these things would take place in front of their eyes. So you can't have the two in the field, one will be taken, one will be left, and make that be resurrection or rapture or end of the world or because the whole context is the destruction of Jerusalem, not one stone will be left upon another, as well as these things will happen in your generation. But we can, we'll get there. We'll get there. You're excited. You'll get there. Oh, look at all the homework you have you can do. You've got tons of things to go read. Go read Matthew 24 and Luke 20 and, and, and all that's great. Uh, it all funnels in together all of this imagery really well. Okay, so that puts us out of, out of time. But I want you to notice in kind of a setup for your preparation for chapter 7 is all of this has been declared, but we can't do it yet. And that's what chapter 7 is. Before we bring the hammer with sun, moon, stars, and all of that, we need to put some things in place first. So if I could, I would say chapter 6 is kind of giving you a a snapshot of everything that's going to happen. The box top lid to the puzzle piece. And now we're going to go, okay, now here's how it's all going to happen. That was the very fast details. Partial judgments, uh, famine, sword, pestilence, how long, little longer, more are going to be killed. But after the little while longer and the more are killed, then sun's going to fall. The sun's not going to shine. Stars falling from the sky. Everybody's going to run to the hills. Judgment, boom, lights out, it's over. There's your box top lid. And then chapter 7 through 11 are going to be, now let me tell you how that's all going to go. Let me, let me explain all that to you. And so I think that's what you'll see in, in, as we come into chapter 7 here is it's going to go, okay, let me back out and give you all the details. Because if you pay attention, the seventh seal is not observed until chapter 8. And that seventh seal then unloads seven trumpets. And it's not until the seventh trumpet sounds that the final seal is done, which is not until chapter 11. So you're kind of on the cusp going, okay, and then it's like, oh, wait, lots of details. Hold on. (laughs) All right, 15-minute break. We'll reconvene at 1030. Thanks, everybody.